Jesus verse 9 he's bring one fighting battles the exact opposite of which Jesus spoke in the oldest sermon on the mount instead of Rankest kind of fighting back their command. And sadly, too many Christian hearts are infected and must be changed by the gospel. There's no other. There's no other answer. Let it drain out. And we have unburdened souls that give life. But still, we had 16 months after we didn't hear the The Civil War was finally about the United States. Aren't you glad to hear that? If you're a Christian today, you, you, have, you know you have peace with God. Your soul is not at rest. And sometimes Christian community can be anything but peaceful. And at any given moment, you might be experiencing some degree of tension. You might have come in today. Sorry to be the bearer of bad news. But some of you are still fighting a war, holding animosity towards those you are supposed to be at peace with. after you supposedly surrendered be engaged in spiritual warfare with your real enemies, the world, and not the church. But the good news, and this towers above and reaches down real issues, is that Jesus is our peace. If you're a Christian today, you can know this truth. Jesus is our peace. Memorize that. Ephesians 2 14 to 18, it's a beautiful stretch of biblical high. Great comfort regarding what the God of peace has done to form his church. Christ, peace, and you need to know this today, it has lasting implications for the Christian life, for every believer. It should, what you hear today, the way you live from this moment onward. If you accept the word of God, we're going verse by verse. Uh, the dominant theme of this letter is God's glorious grace that shown by his choosing love. It's so evident in chapter 1. God's sovereign choice and initiative in saving. And then what we were like before we were saved. The results of God saving us. 
in chapter 2, verses 1 to 10, that just uh, tells us how individual sinners receive eternal life, how they receive the gift of salvation on the basis of God's grace through faith, not by And what you quickly find as we keep going is that you're not left alone. It's not like you're this independent contractor that just goes on their merry way. You're not left alone. You are united with others into one body, into the church. And this is what drives the rest of the letter. This is what the rest of Ephesians is about, like how to live in the church, how to be at peace with others in the church. And and by the way, if if you're one of those people constant struggle to get along um, help you the good news right i mean be here as we go verse by verse uh, three four five and six it's going to help you chapter two verses 11 and 13 we saw last week that that we're brought near by the blood because of jesus what he did in shedding his blood in our place and before becoming a disciple of jesus if you're a christian before becoming a disciple of Jesus, you were far off. You were Christless, homeless, wordless, hopeless, godless. But there was one dramatic, sovereign solution. The blood of Jesus Christ reconciles us to God. There's your hope. There's your answer. And what you see, if you're a Christian, you, you, you see, wow, what I was like humbles me. I see what I was like before. I know what I was like before. God knew better than me. But what Christ did, oh, that just ignites my soul. That makes me want to worship him and, and, and obey him. It makes me grateful. He told us that the, the Gentiles were far off and the privileges that the Jews had, and it, ref, it really affected their relationship uh, with, with Jews. Uh, Jew and Gentiles didn't have good relationships. And what we, we, we read even last week is that God initiated of bringing Gentiles. So what we're going to see today in verses 14 to 18 is how God brought the two groups together. How, how Jesus brought these two warring groups, and they were completely hostile to each other, into one, and really into one new body, really into a new... And, and verse 13 is really the springboard. Verse 13 tells us but now in Christ Jesus, far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So with that as, as the springboard, now you're going to see how Jesus brought near those who is what we're going to see. How Jesus replaces hostility with peace. And, and so Paul had painted this picture of the Gentiles far away from God. They're alienated from all his blessings. They're separated from his people. Then now. He's pr- pronouncing Jesus is their peace. He's pointing to Jesus. He's the one who brings peace. And if you look in your Bibles, if you have a copy of the scriptures, look in verse 14. Okay? George said earlier he loves it when he hears the sound of Bible pages rustling or the in- imperceptible swipe on your device. <laughs> but, but I also love when, when just the, the, the quiet looking down of the eyes upon the whether it's in paper or or you know, on, on, a, on a, but look at it just put it put your own eyes on this verse okay verse 14 for he himself is 
Okay, so the spotlight is shining now on Jesus. He's center stage. His coming reverses the hopeless state of sinners. And it says for, for. This, is, this is the only thing to be considered. Don't think about anything else except this. For the only thing to be considered is this. He himself is our peace. He. There's a personal pronoun that matters right there. All right? Christ. Like he in his person is personified. He's the source. He's the him. Peace. It's the absence of strife. It's used eight times in Ephesians, four times here in our passage today, 43 times in the New Testament by Paul. He's saying peace is found in... Well, doesn't that make a lot of sense? Yes, because peace is found in Jesus Christ, who is the Prince of Peace. Isaiah 9, 6, what's the kingdom of peace? He, by the sacrifice of himself, is the source of peace. Isaiah 5 prophesied about the servant of the Lord, that the punishment that brought us peace was upon him, that by his wounds we were healed, that Jesus is our peace. Because if you're, if, if you're a Christian today, Christ lives in you, and therefore you're going to become like Christ. You, you, you can't help it. If you're a Christian, you, you, Christ lives in you, you're going to become like Christ. 1 Corinthians 1.30 says, look, by God's doing, you are in Christ. And by God's doing, who, who God made... Christ, who God made our wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, redemption. Colossians, Christ is our life, our very life. Galatians 2, 20 says, Paul says, Christ lives in me. Now, this is dependent upon you seeing that Jesus is the one who fulfills Isaiah's messianic texts. That all the promises of the Messiah in the Old Testament point to Christ. But that you would see this. But in Isaiah 57, verse 19, Jesus brought Gentiles near to God and has created a relationship of peace. It goes right along with Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a child is born. To us a son is given. Christmas, anyone? The government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of... And Isaiah 52, 7. You have to see Jesus in this. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, bring good tidings, proclaim salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. That the coming of the anticipated Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, brought about an entirely new and different situation for Gentiles who would put their faith in Christ. Jesus even announced himself as the giver of peace, right? The night before he went to the cross, it's recorded in John 14, 27. He says, peace leave with you, my peace I give to you. Jesus is the purveyor of peace. The gift. He's the originator of peace. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Not with strings attached. Not that doesn't last forever. No, not as the world gives do I give to you? Don't, you know, don't be afraid. I'm giving you my peace. My peace I give to you. People in the Roman world uh, really appreciated Julius Caesar, Octavius, his, his uh, attempt to create peace across the whole Mediterranean region. 
of the Pax Romana, it, it, it resulted in something good. It resulted in a lot of hostilities ceasing, but not all of them. And it led to growth and, and prosperity and, and the relaxation of tensions. But there is no comparing whatever peace you might have, you know, in your life. If you're not a Christian today and you go, well, everything's good and at peace. Well, there's no comparison to that. Caesar, Rome's peace or any kind of peace you can drum up with Christ's peace. And Jesus' peace helps you understand the Christian life. It helps you understand new life in Christ. Peace you have with God and other people. You don't have to be like boomeranging back and forth like I'm at peace, now I'm not. I'm at peace, now I'm not. Like if you want a Bible verse to memorize, you know, memorize it for this summer, memorize it for the rest of your life, here, here you have it. In verse 14, just the first part. He himself is our peace. Memorize it. Keep telling yourself. Christian, you've got to tell yourself this because you're, you're against the truth. And, and what, what we're being told here, he himself is our peace, that the blessings that were once Israel's are also yours. And they in, include the, the priestly blessing of peace in number six. You probably heard it. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. That's talking about believing in the Messiah. That if you're a Christian today, the blessings you have in Christ are rooted in him. That he himself is your peace. That he's the, the Messiah that was born in Bethlehem. Micah 5 said he will shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. He will be great to the ends of the earth and he shall be their peace. He shall be their peace. Paul's tying these two together. Well, memorize it. He himself is our peace. He's the peacemaker. Peace helps people get along. In 1874, there was a prominent gun dealer, Benjamin Kittredge and Company of, of Cincinnati, that began marketing the, the Colt 45 single action army revolver, and they called it this the peacemaker. Because, of course, the, its presence makes you less interested in, in starting a fight because you might, might not, you know, survive it. Great name for a gun. But Jesus is the peacemaker between us and God and us and others. So all those wars you're fighting all the time, everyone's always your enemy. Maybe you haven't surrendered to Jesus. You know, he himself, because he himself. That is powerful, that is forceful. There's an emphasis here that was meant to impact your heart. Literally, when you heal, it should drive straight to your heart and hit it. And hit it right. And hit it in the right spot. And, and, and like, yes! Yes! Why? Because peace is, it, it, there's, there's a lack of hostility. I'm not mad at God for all the things that happened in my life that aren't good. I'm not mad at everybody else. This peace is this lack of hostility in between those who were at odds with one another. And by the way, it's not just a lack of hostility. It's not just that. Like, if, like well, there's no more hostility. But it's also the presence of friendship. You've got to put these two together. Like, it's not just the lack of hostility. It's the presence of friendship. Like, with some of your issues in life, well, I'm not at war with that person anymore, but I'm never going to be their friend. I'm never going to accept them. 
But Jesus makes possible of hostility and the presence of friendship and mutual acceptance. Praise God. Like, he is our peace. Like, all believers, whether Jewish or Gentile, everyone that the Lord our God will call to is our peace. He brought us peace. He's the Prince of Peace. And it says that he made both groups into one new entity. We see that in, in verses 14 to 16. Jesus made us one. He, Jesus brought us. And Jesus, Jesus made us. Look at verse 14 again. Let's just go back to verse 14. We're going to keep taking it back to the text. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one. So peace whole. And he's not talking about all Jews and Gentiles, only those in Christ. But he, he unifies the church. Do it. And he goes on, he's going to tell us in really four ways he unifies the church. How he makes us one. How does he do it? Well, first he, he does it by breath. He demolishes the separation and the sinful protection that we would even put up. He has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. You see that? The destructive hostility took place in his flesh. In his flesh. What does that mean? It, it pictures Christ crucified which parallels uh, verse 13, the blood of Christ, and verse 16, through the cross. It's him making peace. It's the basis. He made peace, he, and it says he destroyed the dividing wall, or uh, blocking the way. What wall is he referring to? Now, some people think it's, it was the curtain in the Jerusalem temple between the holy place and the holy of holies, but it can't be that curtain. Everyone out, including the Jews, only the high priest could go in. Others would say, no, it's a cosmic wall of, that separated heaven from the world. But most likely, he to a picture that, would, that they would have known. There would be Herod's Jerusalem temple. There was a wall separating the court of the Gentiles from the rest of the temple. And on, that, on a wall was written a notice. Josephus even records it. Here's what the notice said. No foreigner within the barricade which surrounds the sanctuary and enclosure, caught doing so will have himself to blame for his death. Now you're going to die if, if you go past it. To protect the Jews from the Gentiles. It's a graphic example. And Paul says, by, through his flesh, he broke it down it, it, as a decisive, completed action. Jesus did something at the cross. Down the barrier. And, and he would be referring to the, uh, a barrier, even as, as an illustration, the, the barrier to the inner court to the temple, which was this symbol, this extraordinary uh, symbol of division between Jew and Gentile. Like than that. Paul would have been familiar with that fence. He was falsely accused even, and we see it in Acts 21, but he was falsely accused of taking a Gentile into the inner courts of the temple. Led to nearly four years of imprisonment. Uh, the letter to the Ephesians, he was in Roman custody. He would have had this temple wall in mind. He's even quoting Isaiah, the near and far language temple. was coming into it. 
one of the primary images he's going to use of this new entity in Christ, the church, is, is as a holy temple. And that there would be no fence or wall separating Jews from Gentiles and limiting access. And by the way, lest you think that um, this was just a silly college rivalry between like UCLA and USC, you'd be largely mistaken. The Jews and the Gentiles didn't have a lot of uh, love for one another. More in the category of like the Berlin Wall being torn down and, and you just picture the wall leveled and the nations just joyfully. And when you think about uh, when he says that Jesus tore down this wall, it would make the best sense in this context to take it not as a literal wall, but metaphorically all that divided Jew and Gentile. Everything that was in the way. Because he unifies the church. He makes us one. He does it by breaking down the wall. But secondly, it tells us, verse 15, by abolishing the law. Look at verse 15. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. So there's hostility between Jews and Gentiles, but it came about over a long period of time. Think about your grudges in your life. Sometimes they happen quickly, but a lot of times they're just a long, slow burn, right? This uh, egregious hostility between Jews and Gentiles came about over a long period of time. And they said things about each other like you say. And it was largely due to the Jews' misuse of the law. They had this attitude of superiority that had crept in that brought hostility. And the law's stipulations were to protect Jews from, from worldly practices. The Israel was of how great God is, how God delivers his people, how God provides for his people, for his people. But rather Rather than using the law as a witness, they started using it as a weapon. They started, you know, hitting people with it. And they were looking down on the Gentiles. And they considered them so inferior. And well, the Gentiles are looking at the Jews and they're like, you just think you're better than everyone else. You know, you're so zealous, lost so zealously, you're prideful and you're stubborn. So everybody's looking at each other. But the law, I just want you to know, the law was not hostile. The wrong use of the law resulted in hostility on both sides. And for the Christian, Romans 7 tells us to the law. Galatians 3 tells us the law was our guardian, literally our, until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian. We're no longer under the tutor. We're no longer under the like a good, like a good teacher. The law was, was a tutor to lead us to Christ, to point to our need for Jesus. In Matthew 5, verse 17, Jesus said this. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, build them. So how does that fit here where it says he abolished the commandments and the decrees? Think of it this way. Jesus fulfilled the moral law. He kept all its requirements perfectly. Abolished the ceremonial law. The requirement of the ceremonial law, the washings and the Sabbath restrictions and the sacrifice, that barrier now gone. This is what it says in Romans 10. Christ is the end of the whole law for believers that we as believers that 
tutor because it pointed us to Christ. And Jesus fulfilled that moral law and took away all the condemnation so that we might have free access to, to God by grace, through grace. So under the new covenant, the old covenant was done away with, no longer our way of operating. And this applies to Jew and Gentile believers in Christ. We're now under Christ when you sum it up and love your neighbor. And not as you define it, but as God defines it in the word. Which is why you have to keep going back to the word. This unifies the church. He's our peace and he unifies the church. He made us one, it says. How'd he do it? Breaking down the wall, abolishing the law. Third way, creating one body. The bride of Christ. The bride of Christ that would peace not fight one another. Uh, not like arguing like, you know, conjoined twins arguing. It says in verse 15 that he might create in himself one man in place of the two. Here. It doesn't say that Christ's death brought about this universal salvation of Jews and reconciled to God. Most Jews and Gentiles today would tell you they're not reconciled to One, is, by the way, this right here, this verse, is the answer to alienation. a new community of faith and it's comprised of all believers united in one body. Only those in Christ Jesus who were brought near by the blood. That he didn't save uh, just Jews and Gentiles. He didn't say, hey, you know what? You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to save some Jews and put them over here. I'm going to save some Gentiles. Kind of keep separate because you know they don't get along. He didn't do that. He didn't just save Jews and Gentiles. What he did was he bent to the same body, the same church. You've got to grasp this. He creates one new man where two existed, and this was his plan. He made the two groups one, and he brought them unity. He brought them peace. Most significant. This is the most significant point here. He made them into one new group. His purpose was to create a new person out of two. That believers individually are, are new creatures in Christ. If you're a Christian, you're, you're a new creature in Christ, but you're not a tractor. Uh, what this is talking about here is the body of Christ, the church. What this is talking about is unity among believers in the church because we are in Christ together. 
blows up all your distinctions that you make. All the distinctions you make up in your mind, it blows it all up. All the things that you like this better, I like that better, I don't like that person. Jesus blows that up. Blows up your pride. Jesus blows up your sin. Jesus blows up all the create barriers among people. Jesus even blows up your wrong attitude or about some other church. One new group. Unity among believers in the church because we're in Christ together. Because we have the same affinities or hobbies or interests. Not because we just like hanging out together. I mean, you join up with your friends that you like. Else, You know how it goes. Now, there are some people that are just like friendly to everyone. Don't you just love being around those kind of people? But a lot of people are just like, these are my people. God means when Toys for me? Well, someone to play with. You didn't choose your family. God gives you your family. I mean, Jesus said to Peter, I will build my church. My church, not your church, my church. He's building his church. Sometimes you go, I don't like who he put in his church. They're looking at you. He made peace. He himself is our peace. Jesus Christ made Jew and Gentile one in the church and exists because God made it. And even though we don't always experience it, we need to live that peace. The opposite of hostility. The union of believers. You know what it means? You want, you want to go out today with a clear conscience before God and man? Here's what it means. No one holding anything against anyone. Some of you are like, uh, impossible. Hey, speak for yourself. The opposite of hostility, the union of believers, if you want to get really practical about it, it means that you walk out of this room today not holding anything against anyone. And already, I, I just almost hear the, uh, the refusals. There's no way. You don't know the whole story. You don't know what they did. You can forgive right now. You can forbear right now. Uh, John Chrysostom put it this way, that uh, it's like God took a statue of silver and a statue of lead, put them in a forge, put them in the fire, and they came out a statue of gold. See, he made a, in the church, he made a new and better humanity. Not that we're better than anyone. No, don't get that, don't get crazy. Not that we're better than anyone. No, he made a new and better humanity. He, he, 
He's bringing together his original intent. You know, if you were a firefighter, let's say, and you're in a fire station, wouldn't it be odd, wouldn't it be wrong if you hear the, the call, the bell or the, you know, the alarm go off, and you're supposed to go fight a fire, but you're like, we're mad at each other here in the firehouse. We're going to fight and argue until we get this settled. You know, that can burn down. So instead of helping save lives, you're just like arguing among yourselves. Wouldn't it be odd? Wouldn't it be wrong? Wouldn't they all get fired? There was a fire uh, on my block this last past week. Um, it, was a, it, was, it, was, uh, it was a big kind of fire. It was a big fire. <laughs> uh, it was up on the hill right behind our house. And uh, I'm telling you what, there was some unified help. Double, double prop helicopters, single prop helicopters. They're, they're dropping the blue stuff, the red stuff, the orange stuff, even water they're, they're dropping. And even a, a DC-10 uh, went about 100 feet off the ground and just swooped in and sprayed some stuff. They knocked that thing out. But you know what? They, I was so thankful they were unified. They worked as one. They weren't like, oh, you know, we're in a big fight today. We're just going to let your neighborhood b- burn down. We don't really care about you because, you know, we got our things we have to deal with. You know how many Christians deal, uh, live like that? I'm not going oh, to preach the gospel to anybody. I got too many problems. I got to work out these problems with all these other, oh, these other Christians or the neighbors I don't like. Copy it would be the, the firehouse that has firefighters who will work together as one. A lot, one reason why a lot of Christians do not lead many people to Christ is because they're too busy fighting other Christians. Or they're too just wrapped up in their own self. If that's you, just repent of it. Like, repent of it right now. Do what's right. Like, if you're a Christian, you know, you know what, what peace is. And you know when you have it. When you're experiencing it, you know it. And you're free. Here's, here's how you know it. You're free to be around everybody. Unafraid of what they might think or say or what landmine you're going to step on and get somebody mad or offended. No, like everyone getting along truly because they love Jesus. That unifies the church. By the way, if you've done this to people, if you've said, no, I'm not doing that, you need to go back and apologize. You need to go back and make it right. Someone's thinking of you, you know, this person is not peaceful. But everyone getting along truly. This, unif- this is, Jesus did this. Jesus unifies the church. He makes us one. He broke down the wall. He abolished the law. He created one body. You know what else he did? One more thing here in verse 16. He killed the hostility. Some people just roll hostile, you know, hot all the time. They're in the red zone all the time. But here, Jesus kills the hostility. He turns rebels into friends. He reconciles new humanity to himself so they can get along with one another as well. Look at verse 16. Put your eyes there. Thereby killing the hostility. Now, interestingly, verse 14 spoke of hostility between Jews and Gentiles. Verse 16 is speaking of hostility between God and man. Your hostility toward God. The context is changing subtly from dealing with the union of believing Jews and Gentiles into one new humanity, into verse 16, the reconciliation of this body of Jews and Gentiles to God. That's where the hostility got killed at the cross, brought near because of what Christ did historically at the cross. And it wasn't merely to create the church, but to reconcile them all to God. Through the cross, 
by means of the cross. That Christ's death it was shameful. It wasn't honorable. It, was, it consisted of death on a gallows. It was an execution in which God's curse was carried out. Jesus took all the wrath. Jesus bore all your sin so that you could be reconciled to God through his death. Through Christ's blood that was shed, verse 13, uh, verse 14, his flesh, uh, verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 7, redemption through his blood. All your hope in Christ based on that. He's talking about reconciling, believing Jews and Gentiles. He's not talking about individual reconciliation uh, to God in, in the first 10 verses. He's talking about it now. See, the hostility between Jews and Gentiles could not be fixed by humans. Only Christ could fix it. And your hostility toward God could not be fixed by yourself or by anyone coming along to help you. It could only be And so in his own body of flesh and blood, he broke down the hostility. He destroyed the hostility. He rendered the law inoperative for those who are in Christ. This is why you do not have the law as your way of operating. Christ fulfilled it in his death. You are free and clear. Uh, there will be no tension. You can have brotherhood and love. But I have to tell you, it's, it's not until you stop fighting God that you can stop fighting people. You can't say, I'm at peace with God and, and I'm at war with the world. Not in this way. When you stop fighting God, you stop fighting people. And the reason you can't get along with others is because you won't surrender to God. That's why we preach the good news of redemption and reconciliation and restoration to everyone. Jesus brought us peace. Jesus made us one. And by the way, the goodness just continues in verse 17. Look at verse 17. Jesus preached peace. He brought us peace. He made us one. And look at verse 17. Jesus preached peace. Verse 17, and he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and peace to those who were near. What did he do? He proclaimed good news. What does that mean? Well, the cross is the basis of the peacekeeping. And he came and accomplished peace in his reconciling death, and he preached peace. In, in the coming of Christ, it was culminated in his death, and on the basis of the peace he accomplished, now that peace is getting proclaimed. got proclaimed after his resurrection, and it's getting proclaimed today. And it will be proclaimed until Jesus comes again. So how's it getting done today? How's Jesus preaching peace today? He's preaching peace through me and you as we give the gospel. He, on the basis of the peace he accomplished, proclaimed by him to Jews and Gentiles by means of the Holy Spirit through his people. Preaching peace due to what was accomplished at the cross. And it's not just speaking and preaching, but proclaiming with full authority and power the good news of peace that is being preached now due to Christ's work at the cross and its peace horizontally between people. You become a new humanity and peace vertically between you and God. And the message preached is not the preacher's invention. Don't make it up. It's a proclamation of what was faithfully handed down. And God will give you the strength you need to give it purely without impure motive. But, but even if you preach the gospel out of envy and strife, we will praise God that the gospel is being preached. Daniel Hyde put it this way, preach Christ to unbelievers. 
calling them to repentance and faith. If you're not a believer today, you are under the wrath of God. You are an enemy of God. You are actually in league with Satan. You have been held captive by Satan to do his will. Yes, we're praying that God would lead you to repentance. Uh, everything I'm saying right now is from Bible verses. That, that Jesus died on the cross in your place. And that without Jesus, you're going to be lost forever and, and in hell. And you, you need to be called to repent, turn from your sins, and believe in Jesus. If you're not a believer today, you need to believe in the Lord Jesus and be saved. That's just absolutely ground zero. Daniel Heist to unbelievers, calling them repentance and faith. Preach Christ to doubting believers, assuring their hearts of his love. Preach Christ to strong believers, calling them to persevere and continue in a living faith. And preach Christ to wayward, lazy, and backs, calling them to grasp the privileges they have and to enter into them through godly sorrow and true faith. William Perkins put it this way, in Christ, by Christ, to the praise of Christ. Jesus brought us peace. Jesus won. Jesus preached peace. And it all points to the primary benefit of this reconciling peace where enemies become friends. Here it is, verse 18. Look at verse 18. Jesus gave us access. Jesus gave us access to God. Verse 18, for through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. That's Trinitarian salvation. God the Father is the God of peace. Hebrews 13, 20. God the Son is the Prince of peace. And 9, 6. Our peace. And God the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of peace. Ephesians 4. We have access, it says. We have access. That means permission to enter. Like if I get on a plane or I can go into a concert, if I have a ticket. This is bigger than that. This is access granted forever. This word access is a, a solemn word. It literally means a solemn approach to God and, and, or access to a king's presence. And the result, through Jesus, access in one spirit to the Father. That the three persons of the Trinity were involved in your salvation and in your ongoing relationship and access to God and it's through Christ's one spirit that all believers have access to God the Father you know what that means today that means you can freely praise God that means that you can freely pray that means you can freely participate in the work that means that the, the initiation and continuation of your relationship with God involves the, the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit praise God that this is this is what happened when you became a believer some of you might have gotten saved today as I was preaching this. Be, be, think about it. You could pray boldly right this moment knowing God hears you with the access you have. You pray big prayers to a big God who does big things and you can love big without any uh, expectation of repayment that you can serve with all the strength you've got because Jesus replaces hostility with peace. He's the Prince of Peace. Of course he brings peace. Of course he makes us one. Of course he unifies the church and breaks down the dividing wall and abolished the law and created one body and kills the hostility. Of, of course he preaches peace. The cross work of Christ proclaims peace. With God, his blood speaks and pleads with you and cleanses you. Jesus gave access, which fosters your humility. It's just not pride. It destroys your pride. 
You're humbled. You're humbled in the presence of a holy God, our great God and King. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. That Jesus is our peace and made us one in Christ, it drives the Christian life. It's not just one thing on a smorgasbord. It drives the The decisions you make, the actions you take today to experience Jesus' peace more fully and abundantly matter. You have to live at peace with, with others. There's no way around it. And this passage exposed my sinful heart and mind. I am too easily judgmental about people. I'm too easily reaching conclusions about people. Peace is the absence of strife. Are you at peace with all people as far as you know, as far as it depends on you, truly, of, of God? Like, do you know Jesus? Are you following him worshipfully and obediently and dependently? Thomas Watson, man, when he dies, enters into peace. But while he lives, peace must enter into him. Do you have peace in your heart right now with God and with others? Like in Colossians 3, he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And then it tells the peace of Christ rule in your heart. You know what that means, rule? Be a, a referee when your heart pushes against the truth and doesn't want to go along with it. Let the truth, let the peace of Christ rule as a referee in your heart. When your heart fights against peace, tell your heart to stand down. Like just because you don't like someone doesn't mean they're your enemy. You might make an enemy, it doesn't mean that they're at strife with you unless you cause it. Or your opinions are one thing, but your opinions should be able to change. Even when you're convinced you're right. Give allowance, make room in your heart for others. Allow God's peace to act as a referee in your heart. Here's one way you can do it today. Try hating your sin as much as you hate the sin you see in everyone else. And tell yourself the truth. The gospel makes you peaceful. This is to help you see. This is to help you see that you must love all Christians if you say you love Jesus. This is to help you see that you have a place in the body of Christ, in a local assembly, a home, a dwelling place, indwelt by God, that you belong to Jesus individually, but you belong to his body collectively. This is to help you navigate your internal issues and mitigate them, you know, spilling over out on others unnecessarily. Because the posture you take with the body of Christ must reflect the reality of the union. Like, peace reforms your heart. Like we say, reformed and always reforming, or repenting and always repenting. Peace reforms your heart. It brings about the reformation of your heart and your life and your thoughts and your actions and your beliefs. You reflect the gospel truth. Christ crucified, risen, reigning now, promised to return. Where you recognize, wow, this isn't just about little old me. I'm a part of a bigger picture. That should cause you to love those nearer you more dearly in a local assembly. See, in a local church, this is where this gets lived out and reflected most honestly, uh, most, most beautifully, and most painfully. That you could live, you could leave this place today with a clear conscience before God and man. That knowing Jesus bought your peace at the cross. And you're not to spoil it because you forget about the cross. And sometimes we don't lead with peace. We make war. So don't treat God like an enemy. Don't treat anybody like an enemy. So lay down your arms. Fall on your knees before God. 
Love and worship the King of Kings with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. What else? Live at peace with God. He gives you peace. Don't blame him for everything going on in your life right now. Don't blame God for all the issues in your life. Lean upon him. Rest in him. I was talking to someone the other day and they were telling me about a lot of things that were going on in their life and it was painful, it was hard, uh, and it was it was comforting to hear this. They went through this whole, whole litany of things that were going wrong, but I know God is sovereign. I know, I know he can work it out. They weren't wallowing in their life as we often do. They were just resting in Christ in the midst of a, of a, of a hard time in their life. This year that's been very helpful for me, actually the last seven years of my life, uh, just rest in the Lord and think let your mind think of him. Uh, take a break in your day and literally don't think of anything else but Jesus. And every gospel thought you have, you can write it down, you can speak it into your phone or just speak it back to God in prayer. But as God exposes your heart and exposes the contours even of your sin, that you could just lift it back to him and it can bring more peace in your life. Even listening to Ephesians 1 through 6, listening to it, on my Bible every day in 2023. Well, as I'm preaching it, as I'm reading it, as I'm living it through, it fills me up. And it, gi it gives me peace. Like, it leads me to confess my sins. It leads me to let go of things that I'm holding on to other people. Um, just rest in the Lord, who is your peace. He will, he will use you as an agent of peace. He brought us peace, made us one, preached peace to us. He replaces hostility with peace. Now, there was a Japanese soldier, hero, who was deployed to the Philippines in 1944. He was instructed to hold a remote island until the Japanese army. He took his orders very seriously and fought a guerrilla war on the island for more than 10,000 days until he finally surrendered almost 30 years later in 1974. Even search parties could not convince him the war was over. Today, you need to know something. You need to know that Jesus won the war and brought peace. And if you're still waging war after you've supposedly surrendered to Jesus, you need to let Jesus' peace uh, wash over. You need to let Jesus preach peace to your soul. Preach Christ to your prone-to-wander heart. A number of years ago, I was asked to help another church that was having um, some extreme conflict and it was a very rough time. I knew many people in that church. It was hard for me to see people I dearly loved at each other's throats. But I can tell you today, uh, years But I know our hearts can get wrapped up in things bring peace. And God knows, God knows this. He has brought it about that your gospel witness can be fruitful. And you can have an unburdened soul uh, that gives life, not death. That the hours are over and peace is reigning because the peacemaker himself is our peace you that you are 
our peace, Lord Jesus. Only you know what you will do in and through us from this day forward, but we pray that we've been changed by your word, that we would even humble ourselves under your mighty, you would even exalt us at the proper time at Christ's return, but that we would even cast all our anxiety upon you. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are peace. Amen. Amen. Would you stand? And we're going to close singing His Mercy is More together. would wait as we constantly roam what father so tender is calling us home he welcomes the weakest the vilest the poor our sins they are many his mercy is Just a few announcements before we go. A lot of going on here. Cambodia, Thailand, missions trip info meeting today uh, at 1230 in A1. Music Mania is this coming week. I said it wrong last week, but it's this week 
And it's a fun-filled week for first through eighth graders to uh, learn a gospel-centered musical and perform it. There is a Friday night thing you can come to, and uh, you'll get info about that. But there are a lot of people wanting to be baptized right now, so we're having baptisms next Sunday. If you want to be baptized, let us know. Also, Friday the 28th, primetime bingo and ice cream social. There's a missions conference on Saturday the 29th that we're putting on right here. And uh, barbecue and baptisms on August 9th on a Wednesday night. Uh, missions course starts September 19th. Orange Academy is starting in September. And the, the women's retreat, ladies sign up for the women's retreat in September. Uh, men sign up for the men's retreat in October. And for men who sign up for the men's retreat, you get your t-shirt as soon as you sign up. Self some merchandise uh, with, uh, get yourself some new clothes, okay? There you go. All right. Uh, Hebrews 13, 20 and 21 May the God of peace, who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever.